Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. We literally become the five people that we are closest to. But interestingly, studies have shown if you even have friends who are of ill health on social media, your chances of following that path are significantly increased. It's pretty shocking. Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. Dr. Tina, I have been awaiting this day for some time. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Mark. Thank you for having me. I feel like I found you in when I needed you. And that's probably like so many things, you know, where they say when the student's ready, the teacher arrives. And I've always had such a fascination with the exploration of medicine and health, not so much from the symptom covering up that sort of modern medicine and pharma invites, but more from root cause. And you just spit the truth. So thank you for what you do. Oh, thank you. I was thinking this morning, you're probably one of my top three pandemic besties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way, you know, brought together by the hunger for data just being assessed. And what I really love about your work, because it obviously spans the plethora of human health, is that you just present information and data. And what I love about your work is you tell the truth, even if there's an emotional response to that truth. And one of my favorite responses you have to that is, this is data, it's not emotional. Gosh, the human response to data that creates 
fear or or dissonance is to want to just fight it or attack it or silence it. It's really odd to me because what I do when I'm stressed out or I'm anxious is I go study. So school and education have always been a calming mechanism for me. I moved around a lot as a child and you and I were talking off camera that I, I might be a little bit on the spectrum if I were to eat really poorly and never exercise. I had some weird habits as a kid that, you know, looking back, they, I guess you could call it neurodivergent. And I'm fine with that because it's my mad genius. And I've really learned through my own journey of health and resilience. I've had to overcome a lot of chronic illness and autoimmune disease to get here. And I have learned to tap into that as a superpower. So it, I can get shit done, you know, like nobody's business because of it. But I get it. You know, I was that kid who couldn't put on socks when I was like five years old. I couldn't wear socks with seams. And I had to have a little tissue folded up in every single pocket of my outfit or I would completely melt down before I left the house. And I can't stand a lot of weird noises. I sleep with earplugs in and an eye mask on. Like I have this kind of hypersensitivity thing. I think that's part of why I just spit the truth because I don't know. I fiercely despise lying. I grew up in a relationship with a sibling where it was all lies all the time and manipulation. And I just don't buy that. And when I was young, being so sick from the get-go, like pumped with antibiotics from the time I came out the shoot of my mom, I i mean, truly, I just, I don't, I don't even think I have an intact microbiome. I've struggled so much and overcome so much. At one point, I remember thinking, I have found the answers. You know, I'm a chiropractor. I'm a naturopathic physician. I went down both those pathways for very specific reasons because I wanted the information inside those schools. I didn't just, it wasn't that about a license. I didn't want to be an MD. I was actually pre-med my whole undergrad until I got out of school. And I was like, I do not want to have anything to do with the allopathic medical system. I'd been working in it as a research assistant all the way through college and it was garbage. And so this was the late 90s. And I was introduced to a naturopathic physician, my mentor, who I ended up working for as his receptionist. And I know I've told you the story before, but my mind blew at the possibilities of what we could do to heal people. And I was struggling heavily with some issues at that point in my health. And he pulled me aside and basically explained to me like this chronic viral infection you have from cytomegalovirus, you're not bipolar. You're actually dealing with a virus that infects your brain. And it's the viral load we need to bring down. We need to get your immune system intact. You got to quit smoking. You got to quit living off of crappy carbohydrates. You got to start eating meat again. You got to start exercising. And I was in my early 20s and I was like, what? <laughs> That's, yeah. That sounds like work. Like, Those are all fun. No. <laughs> and he basically said, if you don't quit smoking, you can't work here, which that made sense. It's an naturopathic clinic. So I quit smoking with his help, but it took me about 20 years of debating with him for me to do all the things. I mean, I'm not kidding. It took almost another probably 15, 20 years before I implemented all the strategies he'd been trying to share with me. So I understand people's hesitation to make change. I get it. I lived it. But when the pain becomes too much, and it really pain and vanity. Those are like the two. By the time I got into practice, I was well on my way to improving my health. But man, it was a long haul back. And so what you see today, this was built with intention. This whole body and immune system and what I have is built with intention. And I have some hiccups. I've got a weird immune system and I've got some other issues that, you know, come along with the ride, but it's okay. I know how to manage them. And really my agenda with, I'm trying to help humans survive this, everything. I mean, I was trying to help humans survive before, just simply survive this shit show of toxicity and adulterated food supply and hijacked refined foods and, you know, they're all of it, trying to get people to see 
reality of it. And it became quite exhausting because in practice, most people just didn't care. I thought, I mean, that's, the, that's my long explanation of how I thought I had found the secrets. And I was so excited to share my secrets with the world. And I took to the online space and I was like, everybody, here's the secrets. And people just don't care. It's not sexy, right? It's not sexy to tell people it all comes down to their metabolic health at the end of the day. And that is 100% under their control and their responsibility. That's not information a lot of people want to hear. And so when this pandemic hit, when this virus came, I was like, oh, if your metabolic health is, we had this data coming out of China right away. Like if your metabolic health is jacked up, you're in big trouble. And I was like, well, shit, 88% of Americans in 2019, a study came out showing that 88% of American uh, US adults were metabolically unsound. I'm sure that number is far, far greater today after two and a half years of lockdown. So, you know, like that's the, I'm just going to keep beating that drum because the people who are hearing it, 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 I get messages every day on social media saying, you saved my life. I listened. I quit refined sugar. I gave up the the crappy packaged foods. I started walking every day. I started going to bed on time. Like small, simple strategies that are not sexy. You know, they're not biohacky. <laughs> I'm an old school naturopath. I when people started biohacking what we had been using as therapeutics for decades, I was like, that's weird. <laughs> I'm glad they made it sexy though and like a sexy person on Instagram can make it cool, but and then you know tapping into people's pain or vanity, which oddly doesn't seem to be much of a motivator anymore. Like that used to be my ticket with in practice. I could always get a patient to tap into either or pain and vanity to get them to start implementing lifestyle changes. And it's almost like we've given that up too, like with the health at every size movement, which I am all for people loving their bodies at any size they're at. But we have to admit the, you know, pink elephant in the room is that rocking excess adipose is is not great for our metabolism and our immune system or most of our organ systems. And so with the push for that, we're just seeing a lot of like vanity sort of gone away as a motivator. And most people are accepting chronic pain and, and debilitation as like a part of getting older, which I think is so weird. Yeah, that is such a fascinating thing about age. And I remember seeing a meme where it had like a 75-year-old woman who looks like, you know, got that sweet perm and kind of slow moving and and kind of your typical, I think of my grandma. It reminds me so much of my grandma who's passed. And she, you know, she used to go to bingo and smoke cigarettes one off the other. And, and then you see this other woman in the picture who's like a jacked 75 year old, like super healthy. And I remember it says like both these women are 75 and essentially communicating that it is about vitality. And if you accept the messages that were sent about age, obviously taking that we are biological beings and our meat suits change and uh, hormonal stuff can change. But I remember in Psych of Aging, I took that class in college. And one of the things I remember it saying that elder, like a person who is older, can put on muscle just as easily as a young person, you know, on some level. And I thought, well, that's not the message that I've learned, you know. And you talk a lot about getting you know, like weightlifting, moving heavy weights or weights in general. And maybe you could speak more to why that's so important. And I also want to just acknowledge your point about metabolic health. As someone who has struggled sort of emotionally and then used sugar as a way to soothe, and then that, of course, puts me in these cycles where I go from over-consuming, which I over-consume anything that is delicious and disturbs, you know, disconnects me from emotional dysregulation. And the last two years have created a lot of that, you know, and I would imagine if I consider myself to have 
you know, relatively sound mental health, I have had to deal with a lot of anxiety and and I have a hard time keeping myself just like, if I can keep myself chubby, why can't I keep myself lean? You know, like that's, it's the same, like, why don't I just stay at a different baseline? And so I relate so much to the things you talk about. And so I don't take your conversations about adipose tissue. I don't get reactive to them because they're speaking a truth that I know I need to acknowledge to make sure that, you know, I Kai and I joke about it, but you know, there's a truth to it that we call it our COVID cargo, that we need to lose our COVID cargo. And I always remember people talking about holding weight on for sustained amounts of time is usually indicative of emotional trauma or something along those lines. And I think we all kind of know that it's a protective layer. And so I appreciate when you tell the truth about that. You know, it's like we were talking off camera before just about it. But what I find, again, so fascinating about the human condition is that, you know, the conversation is men don't go to the doctor. And then when they do, it's too late and blah, blah, blah. And I always thought about like, what is it about that? And I think as men, we're afraid out, we have cancer. We're afraid of finding out we have something. But by the time it gets so bad, we have to. The recovery or the rescue of our bodies is so, we could have made those changes so much earlier. So I know I just spewed a ton of stuff. If you could make all that make sense and prolific, that'd be great. Well, I realized I didn't answer your original question, which is why do I think data as just being it's objective, right? And why it doesn't, I don't think it should be upsetting. And it's because data soothes me. So I go to studies, I read, if it's two in the morning, and I, you know, rarely, like once a month, I'll have insomnia, depending on the moon or whatnot. And uh, I'll just open up and start reading a study. And it just drops me back in whatever brain state I need to be in. And I calm right down and I go to bed. (laughs) Other people are like, I'll take a sleeping pill. You're like, I'll read a study, which equates. Yeah, I'll read a study. (laughs) learn something while I'm calming myself down. I love, uh, love, love, love reading. Like I said, I moved a lot. And so I'm always the awkward one in the room. I know I seem super social and extroverted, but I'm a weird introverted hermit at my core. And so if I'm in a room and I'm uncomfortable, I love, I miss magazines. I I hate being on my phone. I I love the days when you'd walk into someone's house and there'd be coffee table books and magazines because I would pick something up and learn something and it would calm me down. So then I was able to socialize. And so I'm always, I've, I've had boyfriends in the past joke and say, you're always reading something. And I'm like, that's myself. That's my soothie. (laughs) So to me, information is soothing to me. And I would rather know what's going on than not know what's going on. But I found it so odd through this pandemic of sharing data and having people get so mad. It's almost like they think I'm pointing a finger at them directly, calling them out. And that reaction to me is super weird too, because I don't understand the psychology of that, to be honest. I mean, I know you've explained it and others have explained it to me, but I still don't totally get it when it happens because I'm like, I wasn't sitting you down and telling you this one thing. You're one of 140,000 people on my Instagram. Like (laughs) there, there was no ill intent. This was information. And it's so interesting to see how most of my audience takes it positively, because I think that information is empowering. And my goal is always to help humans and empower humans because when you know better, you can do better versus pointing a finger and laying blame. And we got to address the pink elephant in the room, which is metabolic dysfunction is what's continuing to drive this pandemic throughout the world. We've exported our diabetes to the world, right? We've exported our processed food supply. And so we are now dealing with the consequences of what a very sickly human population, I think 50 years ago, we would have just burned right through COVID, no big deal as a species, but we are a very sick species at this point globally. So it's exacerbated, you know, what has already existed. I mean, that makes sense because I feel like even when I look at government corruption, it's just what has always existed implicitly is existing explicitly. And it seems like our metabolic health conversation was about metabolic dysfunction, you know, but of course it was treat the blood pressure, treat the cholesterol, treat the A1C, 
but not get to the core of, you know, and I know there's the attempt to do lifestyle modification and the compliance with lifestyle modification is fairly poor, but I think that's because it's not approached with understanding and time that's spent with physicians. I think that's why naturopathic medicine offered this different way of, of actually putting the story and the narrative of the person, which I think is like when a physician used to sit down and maybe some still do. So I don't want to say that doesn't exist anymore, but do like a very thorough history, but they're so busy and overloaded in those systems that the time to do that, how they get paid, all that kind of stuff is compounding the food industry. You've got all these things that are, they keep each other moving. Like the food feeds the system, which the system feeds the prescription, which everything feeds profit. And sound metabolic health doesn't feed profit. It also doesn't feed materialism. For the majority of my adult life, I have been searching for a tasty protein powder. I've been searching for an amazing protein powder, one that doesn't just add protein to my shake, but like adds flavor and creaminess and deliciousness and all those things. And I'm happy to have found that in the Organifi Complete Protein. It's organic, it's vegan, it's also a multivitamin with digestive enzymes, so I kind of like that stack. 20 grams of protein, all in one delicious, easy-to-mix shake. It's got seven superfoods, it's 100% organic, no soy, no whey, and it helps curve cravings. It contains half of the daily recommended value of selenium, vitamin C, D, E, A, and 35% of your daily iron. And all of these vitamins are from whole foods. And so it's got pea protein, quinoa, pumpkin seed, coconut, which contains MCTs, vanilla bean for the vanilla flavor, five different digestive enzymes in every serving. It helps you digest your food, prevent the bloating and the gas, and absorb more of the nutrients that you eat throughout your day. So if you want to save 20% off both chocolate and vanilla, go to Organifi.com slash create the love and Organifi is spelt O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com. So go check it out. Also, there's two other factors. One is social contagion and the other is actual contagion. So our microbiomes are infectious. They're contagious. So if your significant other is obese and dealing with high blood pressure, their microbiome will spore out and be contagious to you. So you too have an increased risk. So when you make out with them, you're getting their microbiome, which makes sense. Their oral biome, their microbiome, yeah. Sleeping with them, fecal... I mean, it's, we get it all over each other. We shed skin cells. I mean, we are, <laughs> let's put it this way. I have a few friends who are very high level microbiome scientists and they, you're hard pressed to hug them. They're not afraid of you, but unless you're healthy, they're not holding on to you very long. And <laughs> the other one is social contagion. So, you know, we are, we literally become the five people that we are closest to. But interestingly, studies have shown if you even have friends who are of ill health on social media, your chances of following that path are significantly increased. I mean, it's, it's, it's market. I don't have the exact numbers, but it's pretty shocking of what, so eventually this like trickled down, right? It used to be, there was just a few people who were struggling with poor health and then it became kind of exponential from there. And now this next generation coming up, I've been recently studying and diving into the effect effects of metabolic dysfunction in mothers and what the impact is on the offspring. And it's bad news. You know, we don't have to go down that path because it's not great news. It's, you know, which that means that like the bulk of kids being born today, those kids are set up for a life of diabetes and obesity, no matter what they do. Because of the environment in utero is creating the metabolic dysfunction already. So they're like, that's fascinating. I remember looking at data on how from an epigenetic perspective, like if you look at 
if someone, you know, grandfather experienced a famine, that the grandchild was more likely to be obese, which you'd think there's like a, a like, I never had enough. So, you know, and I, I think we're also feeding, like, I think I, I'm probably projecting my own human experience here, which is, I was feeding emotional, like not feeling like I belonged. And so at the same time, processed sugar was really becoming a thing because I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I'm born in 78. And that was when fat was bad. And so margarine was in our house. My dad studied heart failure. And, and so he was deep in the actual stuff. And he did really important work on heart failure. But what was going on on the other side was statins and cholesterol conversation, and then sugar content of food. And so I'm like a child in this space. And my mom wanted us to eat, you know, garden food. And she was, I was like, this tastes like shit. My friends are eating Pop-Tarts and fucking Pizza Pops. And I'm getting fucking Cheerios, which that isn't even a breakfast of champions. But my point being that the way that's where like, dairy is good for athletes, dairy is good for, but as a kid, I would pound chocolate milk and I would go to the store with, my allowance, like two bucks or five bucks, I can't remember. And I would go buy a liter of chocolate milk and a ton of gummy candies. And then I found myself chubby, you know, like, and so like, so I would feel like I didn't belong because I'd experienced social consequence from being overweight. And then I would food restrict eating disorder, but no one would have thought it at the time. But I was like taking my mom, my grandma's not sugar, but it was like a powdered drink that you would put in and you would mix it. But I would take that secretly because I was trying to lose weight, which I was essentially starving myself. I still struggle with this same cycle, which tells me, you know, I still have to psychologically get to a deeper space. It just is maybe more minute now. But yeah, all that to say, like all these things that have contributed in our food and our environment. You're not alone. I, you know, I grew up in the same era and I'm a little bit older, but same thing. And I really didn't, I watched my mom do a real number on her metabolism with all that stuff. And the over the counter, you know, you could buy the diet pills in the grocery store at the time. And I was sneaking those when I was a teenager and then seeing my friends develop eating disorders. And I was like, well, I'm going to do that too. And then there's just that piece of control. I think for me, I felt so completely out of control because my dad kept moving us everywhere. And so the only control I had was what I did or did not put in my mouth. You know, it was weird. I I was severely, severely anorexic and bulimic through high school and like noticeably so. It was like everyone, if you looked at me, you would have been like, I'm concerned about that girl. <laughs> and it was, you know, no one said anything. I remember being so mad at my mom for years after because she never said anything. She never addressed it. Nobody addressed it. No one came down and said, are you okay? I mean, they were just, I was such a train wreck in, in high school anyway, emotionally, <laughs> that that was like the least of the problem, you know? And that was a huge struggle. So I think that did a number on my metabolism too. I carried that eating disorder into my adulthood. I applied it to my daughter without even noticing, without intentionally I mean, never uh, shamed her for her weight, but just me existing like that and always struggling with my mindset around my weight. The way you related to these things? The way I talk to myself, the things I say out loud, it totally impacted her. So she went into a huge eating disorder in her high school years. And a lot of it came back through therapy of like, mom, you were responsible for this, which I totally own. The verbiage that was coming out of my mouth about my own self. But I will say this, strength training saved my life because 
once I, I, I hit 40 and I realized my mom had had a just total nightmare of menopause and I knew I was walking towards it and I did not want that. And everybody in my family on both sides turned into round little diabetic dumplings around 40, somewhere in the early 40s. They all just- Round diabetic dumplings. <laughs> they did. They all just turned into little Oompa Loompas <laughs> with skinny legs. I feel like the same thing existed in my like grandparents, you know, when I think back in my on my dad's yeah, side. I didn't want that. I wanted, you know, harnessing pain and vanity. I also had a tremendous amount. I still struggle with quite a bit of spinal pain on the regular. And so for various reasons, much of it is autoimmune. But I looked around and I thought, how am I going to get through this? Like, how am I going to walk into menopause and have it be gentle? And how am I going to get through this and have it be gentle? And I started looking at different body types of fit people in their 50s, people who were fit in their 50s. And like, what did they have in common? And the one thing they all seemed to have in common was they lifted weights. So I started strength training. And at the time I was probably 25 pounds less than you see right now. I was severely underweight at the time. I was under a lot of stress. My career was taking off. I was an adult with a tween age daughter and I looked like a teenager. I was so skinny. And I mean, it's not great. I was back. I was back to being underweight and anorexic again and showcasing it to the world. And so I went to the gym and I hired a coach and I said, he's like, well, do you want to do body composition and testing and all the stuff they onboard you with? And I was like, dude, I just want to learn how to deadlift so my back pain will go away and I want to put on 10 pounds of weight. And he was like, you want to put on weight? I said, I want to put on weight. I need my ass back because my ass was gone. I had starved it off and I wanted my ass back. I'd always had a great butt. I'm like, well, I need my butt back because I need my ass to match my sass. <laughs> and I need and I need to be strong. And I, I felt at the time, I was in my early 30s, I felt like if I were to fall over, I was going to shatter into a million pieces. I could just feel the frailty. And the sarcopenia was taking effect, the muscle wasting. It was just like a vicious cycle. And I was so stressed out from all of my work and my practice and being a single mom and all this that I was sort of in this chronic cachexic state of hyper cortisol. So I was like chasing the cortisol dragon, super cortisol addict. I remember. Yeah. That was oh, I amazing. love it. I still love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I feel that. Yeah. So I started strength training and I found a sense of calm and a sense of just clarity and tenacity in my own mental state that I'd never experienced before. It was better than any antidepressant I'd ever taken. And I quit being the batshit crazy mom that I didn't want to be. And my daughter was like, wow, mom, you're a lot better like this. And I was like, I am. It took me another, you know, I was never a big drinker, but I was like a very consistent drinker my entire life since I was 14. Very I mean, I grew up in a place where alcohol was just a big thing in my high school and very normalized, right? Yeah, we talked about this. And I didn't really, I didn't give up alcohol until January of this year. So again, I don't even know how I waited so long, but best thing I ever did. But, you know, I share this because I, as I said in the beginning, it's a journey, right? It's not a destination. Like we take these steps, we level up, we take a step and we go back. I mean, I've, I've backslid before and no, it's a mess, but I have these tools, right? I, I, my kettlebells are like, when in doubt, go do some kettlebell swings, Tina, and you will calm down. And then you can think clearly and they're, they're portable. You can travel with them. You know, you can throw them in your car. I'm sure they'll make your gas prices go up, but you can have a couple bells on hand if you know how to use them. And I think investing in a program to learn how to use them safely so that they are a handy tool. I've gotten me through best friends dying and dogs dying and 
stress of COVID and being attacked on a global scale for speaking the truth during a pandemic, like those kettlebells are my babies. And I have a tool now to off gas, whereas before it would be marijuana or alcohol or seeking out rage or losing my shit on my daughter or on a loved one unfairly, completely unfairly. So I just say this with experience. I guess it gets easier with age to look at things. But as I peel back the vices, I would rather just have the healthier ones remain. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And, you know, reality sucks and truth sucks sometimes and it's harsh, but I would rather know it than not know it. I I don't understand that we have a true pandemic of intentional ignorance, I think more than anything. People really not wanting to hear the truth or, but I'm thinking, dude, I'm trying to like save your ass. (laughs) when I post this stuff, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I'm trying to save people's asses right now. If you start taking measures today to get your metabolic health in order, and it's so simple, you can literally within a few days start to see decrease in inflammation levels. And you can start to see things shifting very quickly within two weeks. The person will have noticeable improvement in their mood and in their energy levels. And then when you start seeing muscle come on your body, you're like, this is awesome. I'm training for muscle. And when you start training for muscle, Mark, you'll stop seeking out sugar because you don't want to defeat the work you just put in. You don't want to sabotage the work that you, and I'm pay, I pay premium for my coaching. I, I pay my coach a lot of money. And I do that on purpose because that muscle is not only expensive to come by, like literally <laughs> with dollars, but it was expensive because I'm not a person that puts on muscle very easily. So I have to really strategically eat for it, sleep for it, hydrate for it, sun for it. So everything I do is to get this slab of muscle because in my mind, and I know this through data, that muscle suit is insurance. It's armor against COVID, against everything else. Because anything I walk into, whether it be cancer or acute or chronic disease, I'm going to fare a lot better with a suit of muscle on me. And so that's what I train for. It's, I literally think of Wonder Woman. Like I'm in the gym and I'm like, I'm fucking Wonder Woman. And I'm training right now for, for life, for the battle of life. <laughs> and I'm training for my sanity and I'm training, like that's what I do. And, I'm, and when it gets hard and I'm a little bit scared because my coach is having me do something a little bit scary overhead that involves something very heavy, I'm like, I'm fucking Wonder Woman. And I dig down deep into that place that I got to find my warrior spirit. And it's, it's warrior training. To me, I train literally against the fucking man. Like that is what I'm training for. I'm like, when I go in the gym, I'm doing it for all of those reasons, not just for my health, not just to look hot in a bikini, not just to maintain longevity and a youthful appearance. It is literally like, fuck you, big brother. (laughs) You're not going to get me easily. And fuck you, COVID. You're not going to take me down easily. <laughs> I think it's funny. It's kind of like the same as like a revenge bod after a breakup. You know, we're getting like a revenge bod from feeling like self-expression is suppressed or that, you know, because I would imagine it's not arguable that there was no data to support closing gyms and the benefit of a gym, I would imagine far outweighed 
the actual potential price of one, especially since most people in gyms are working on metabolic health and experiencing and maintaining metabolic health. I know that I was listening once to Dr. Peter Atia, and he was saying that, you know, much like you're saying, based on the data, the most protective thing in aging and health is muscle mass. Like the next one is like far down that specific. I remember him talking about it. And, you know, you were talking about motivators. Like vanity was a motivator for me when I was young, when I was, you know, coming out of the post chocolate milk candy era. But the motivation became vanity and belonging. And then it became like the hormonal benefits, the benefits, you know, it's so the ability to recognize one's own power and one's own potential and what's possible for us. And a lot of us haven't touched that ever. We maybe never touched weights. And so if we're working on metabolic health, what are the top ways to do that? It's easier than one would think. And I actually am a, just launching a awesome, awesome gift to the world called the metabolic revamp where I go over it in detail. But the bottom line is your metabolism is how you take in and process the things that you eat in its simplest sense. And most people don't understand what metabolic flexibility means. And that means that your body can adjust and adapt in real time to the things that you're ingesting. Metabolic dysfunction happens when homeostasis gets off. It's the act of turning into a diabetic or pre-diabetic, which is where most of US adults are sitting, is the body's mechanism of trying to heal itself. It's not that something's broken. It's that your body's actually trying to compensate for the high blood sugar levels that we're ingesting, which come in the forms, I think most notably, refined sugars directly, obviously like people eating refined sugary things, liquid sugars, or ingesting a ton of liquid sugar every day and sodas and juices and things. I think refined carbohydrates eventually biochemically turn into sugars in your body. And I think a lot of people are living off of refined carbohydrates as a whole. And then alcohol, right? All of those in my head just convert to sugar. And so I think mindset's huge. So part of what I just explained, because when you strength train and you start building muscle, muscle has GLUT4 receptors and GLUT4 receptors literally sponge up and suck up the sugar and use it with good utility. So that is one amazing aspect of putting muscle mass on. The muscle actually acts as a sponge, sucks up the excess blood sugars that we're all rocking around with and puts it in the right places. Mindset around it to me, how I really, I never really had a major sweet tooth, but I had a refined carbohydrate problem. I still do. And I, <laughs> I gave myself the mantra that sugar is Satan. Like truly, if you think about like in my head, since I was a teenager and you can call me a tinfoil wearing conspiracy theorist, but I have believed since I was a teenager that this was coming, something like this was coming. I described it in great detail to my mother when I was 19 and I was fairly accurate with what's happening today. And I knew early on that something was wrong in the early nineties. I knew that the food supply was adulterated and becoming more adulterated and the advent of fake fats. And like you mentioned, I mean, they basically took real fat out of the equation and supplemented it with sugar. So things still tasted good. And so we all got hooked on these like fake fat cookies and fake fat, everything, right? We lived- It's so bad. I know. It was terrible. My mom still believes that fat is bad. She will reward herself with real butter. Oh my God. Real butter is like, I eat it like by the spoon. So bowl. good. Grass <laughs> fed <laughs> butter yes. is like uh, salted. Oh, it's mm. the food of gods. It's yeah, it's amazing. So, so I knew a long time ago, I just smelled it was off because I was eating the fake fats and I was getting diarrhea and my skin was looking really like the pallor, it was terrible. Everything was bad. All my friends who were living that way were ugh, my the fake sweeteners. I watched my aunt, who was a type one diabetic, basically die of sweet and low. I mean, years of sweet and low 
destroying her microbiome to the point where she quite literally died from C. difficile, from like just excessive microbiome disruption. And so we didn't have all the data, but I inherently knew I have good instincts and I inherently knew something was wrong with a lot of this stuff. And so I was very happy to meet my mentor who we didn't have the name for, we didn't have the word paleo diet. We didn't have carnivore diet. We didn't have any of that, but he told me eat real fat, healthy fat. Don't be afraid of healthy grass-fed saturated fat and cut grains. Just don't eat grains. Stay away from grains. And that was remarkably life and, you know, ingest a lot of good, healthy animal protein. And that was really life-changing for me. And that's what pulled me out of that chronic sickness picture I shared with you earlier. That's, he got me out of that. He got me out of that vicious cycle. I finally listened to him and he said, don't do, this is in the nineties. Don't do cardio, lift weights. He had all the answers. <laughs> I just wasn't I mean, listening. that's what ends up becoming out, right? Like don't do too many hit or like yeah. spin classes because it's just your nervous system gets to dysregulate too many times in a week. Like yeah. you do too much. But you're right. Like cardio became a craze. And you know, it's funny because I think of like the South Beach diet, even the whole 30, which is very much, I guess, exactly what you're talking about. No grains, no refined sugars, no, you know, eating whole foods. Like just eat food that looks like where it came from. I think of um, the movement from the war was called Victory Gardens. And like people were, because food supply was being hindered, people were encouraged to create their gardens. And then so much of the food supply in the United States, but around the world came from actual people's gardens. And we need to return to that, like growing our own food, getting back in touch with land, feeling the soil, getting our microbiome through that and restoring the land and, and the soil. And we, we think that we're going to be saved by beyond beef fucking burgers, which are just piles of amino acids with no, like the idea that this still, this wasn't true for me. So I don't want to say this is so obvious because it wasn't obvious to a younger version of me when I was eating a gelatin gummy bear piled with refined sugar and high fructose corn syrup. But the idea that we can build genetically create something that is smarter than what nature provides is the arrogance of man or human, humans, that it's the arrogance that perpetuates how we have done medicine, how we do food, how we do it. It's so obvious when you start to see it. It's even how we're taught to relate. That's where this all began for me is like, wait, none of that's actually generally constructive to healthy relating. It's mostly codependent and it's mostly self-abandonment. And everyone's living in this model of who they think they need to be. And then it's soothed by the food and the fucking sugar and the and the profitability and the buying more shit and then you get more social status it's just all the same shit to me little wing is now streaming on paramount plus i'm in a period of emotional people is that all the oh i don't care crap a little adventure where are you going i'm gonna steal a bird from the russian pigeon mafia let's do it goes a long way <laughs> starring brooklyn prince with kelly riley and brian cox Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. Yeah, yep. And I watched my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and my cousins. I watched everybody get chronic illness and live with and deteriorate with the most awful disease processes and die horrific, slow, painful deaths. And that was another reason I started lifting weights and getting really serious about all this when I hit 40. I kind of was, you know, I was dabbling with the diet quite a bit from like early 30s to 40, but that I added muscle into the equation. I wish I'd started with muscle. I always tell everyone, start with the strength training because everything else will fall into place, like I mentioned earlier. But my kind of my mindset piece that I was alluding to, which is sugar is Satan. Sugar is the 
sugar lights. So most drugs light up a certain part of your brain, right? It lights up. I mean, in the most, this is like the kindergarten version, but people seek out different drugs specifically because they're slow, they're low in certain neurotransmitters. And so this drug will do this and this drug will trigger that neurotransmitter. Sugar bathes your whole brain, sets off the whole circuitry of the whole brain. It is probably one of the most addictive substances on earth. And then we've got these bro science guys on Instagram trying to argue with me, telling me like, artificial sugars are, are sweet sweeteners are fine and don't make people feel bad for eating sugar. We need sugar in the form of glucose. And then they like bro out on their PhDs. And I'm like, dude, if you saw these people clinically in practice and how addicted they are and what it's doing to their freaking metabolisms, which is ultimately leading to all the things you mentioned, the heart disease, the fatty liver, the chronic rashes, everybody who's talking about their, you know, mold, Mold and parasites. Right, like all these autoimmune. Oh, yeah, autoimmune. Like mold and parasites are so big right now on the social media interwebs. But I'm like, what do you think feeds the mold and parasites? Well, even cancer, right? Like one of the diets that people go on for cancer is ketogenic because the sugar is what feeds the proliferation of the angiogenesis of the cells, right? Yep. Cancer is a hungry hungry cell. It's a hungry cell that doesn't have an off switch. And that, that's literally it. It's literally metabolically driven and metabolically fed. So it's crazy, right? So that's where we're at. And then so like people want to argue with me. I remember posting a post early on in the pandemic saying sugar is Satan. And I lost a thousand followers in a day and got dropped into a shadow ban for saying such a thing, even though I had data and studies to support it. I was just like, yo, I'm trying to keep you guys from dying because the virus, guess how the virus binds your ACE2 receptor? Sugars. Sugar on the spike protein binds your sugars on the ACE receptors, right? Like just so simple. And then the folks that were dying right off the bat were having terrible outcomes were those who were going in as a diabetic because when your body is under siege, you go into a transient diabetic state regardless of whether you have blood sugar dysregulation or not. So if you're going in as a frank diabetic type one or two, all the type ones want to argue with me for not specifying, well, here I am specifying. Yes, it's also a problem if your blood sugars are not under control, irregardless of what type of diabetes you have or prediabetes. If you walk in and your blood sugars go wonky, the virus likes to take hold there. So these are just like, so this is how I think of it, Mark. I think when I look at something, I think that is not conducive to longevity. That's the way I've trained my brain. So I look at a piece of cake. So like habits, rituals, food choices, all the things. We got to play that long game. Yeah, this is not conducive to longevity. So my husband will hear me say something. He'll be like, why can't I eat this? And he's eating something that I would never eat. And I'm like, because it's not conducive to longevity. That's it. That's enough for me. Like I don't- Full stop. <laughs> that's my. That's where I stop. And if it's staying up till- I Last night, I said to him, I'm like, dude, we have to stop staying up till 11 p.m. We have to go to bed earlier. This is not conducive to longevity. It's the habits and the foods and the, all the things. If I can, I just look at it and it's either on a- no go list because it's not conducive to longevity or it's, is this going to nourish my body? Because a nourished, you know this, I mean, you have way better understanding of the psychology of human behavior than I do. I look of, at food as simply fuel and I don't have any emotional attachment to it. And I look at data as just data and I don't have any emotional, that's why I like it because it's really objective to me. But I think that we have turned these things into emotional things because of addiction, right? It's that's these are addictions in their or maybe we're just addicted to the dopamine or maybe we're lonely or maybe we're tired. I think we're addicted to certainty too, you know, like the moment data comes in and or data as you call it, the moment it comes in and it 
contradicts or creates dissonance about a choice we're making, we either bring in the new knowledge and awareness and change our lives, or we deny or vilify the thing that's now making us feel bad. You think about the perpetuation of cancel culture, that's essentially it. It's like, I don't like how what you're saying makes me feel. And granted, there are things we need to hold people accountable for. I'm not saying that. But we have made this about anything that makes us feel discomfort. I want to vilify and cancel the thing rather than explore the emotional discomfort. I, societally, I, the conversation is happening again, thank the Lord, that we're at least talking about how that we need to learn how to sit and self-regulate. Because in the information we're getting from our emotions is actually the invitation to transformation, you know, to, to expansion, to curiosity, to understanding, to bridging two points of view. You know, like all of it, a healthy democracy, a healthy human system requires the ability to sit in disagreement. And that, that emotional reactivity is our work always, even if you're saying something that's totally not true. That shouldn't make me lose my whole day, you know, like (laughs) it shouldn't make it. So I now have to start this whole, get a group to try to get rid of this person, you know, like. It's so weird. People lose. The tribalism. They lose their shit on me sometimes and send me these long DMs or these long emails. And I'm literally sitting there looking at it like, you took the time to write this out. Like I have way too much cool stuff going on in my life to have that kind of time. I'm way too busy trying to help the world like do have a better life. I don't know, whatever way I can. I'm not saying that from an ego. Like I, that's literally what I do every day. I wake that's up and I'm purpose, like, how can yeah. I help? Like, what can I do yeah. to be helpful? Where, where, where are the holes that aren't getting filled? How can I fill them? How can I educate? And I think of education as the ultimate power weapon. They can't take your education away from you. And then I think of my body as trying to match that. So like, I don't ingest sugar because that is how they're trying to brainwash all of us. The big Big Brother's food supply is how we got in this mess in the first place, right? They dumbed us down. They drugged us down. They placated us down to the point where we just took it and we let it happen and we didn't question rollouts of experimental genetic therapies and everybody just took it. They took it for the team, not even understanding what they were doing, not questioning, not bothering to spend the time to look through some, like we talked about off camera, you don't have to be formally trained in how to read studies. We were not formally trained in medical school on how to read studies. So I think that people just, you know, if you're getting your info off the TV and the news, there's the problem. Turn the TV off. And I like being uncomfortable. It makes me a heartier person. I I feel so, you know, dopamine isn't about the reward as much as it is the seeking of the reward, right? So they say that people who, and I've had this happen, I've, I've achieved great financial success and it didn't make me happy. It was because it was the journey to the great financial success. It was that, it was that challenge. Who you become. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I like training because there's that challenge. I love the challenge part is really fun for me. The getting there part, you know, it's like when you're a kid and you really have a crush on someone, you really, really want them. And then I get them and they'd be like, do you want to be my girlfriend? And I'd say, not really, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So it's that seeking behavior, I think, that gives us the dopamine more than the actual reward of getting the thing. But humans have gotten so like, they're just a bunch of lab rats tapping the thing to get the, even if it electrocutes them, give me the thing, give me the pellet, give me the pellet. Right. And I'm like, over here doing, how do we get out of the cage? <laughs> like, stop eating the shit they're feeding you that makes you happy to stay in the cage. <laughs> like, get, like, how do we get out of here? How do we get out of the cubicle with fluorescent lights? And, and the, you know, that's me. And I guess that's just inherently who I am, but I'm trying to take people with me on that ride. And boy, you know, the fear factory doesn't like that. No, the fear factory doesn't. I, I was going to say, have you ever heard that, that poem from Hafiz, which is, 
The small man builds cages for everyone he knows, while the sage who has to duck his head when the moon is low keeps dropping keys all night long for the beautiful rowdy prisoners. I've always loved that because it just speaks to like what we are, you know, what I think everyone's intention. That's the thing about what's happened in the last couple of years has just really magnified all this stuff for me. But what I know to be true is that everyone, everyone's intention is love and connection. Like, Outside of the sociopathic, you know, people make sometimes making policy and that, and the people like with the endless chase of capitalism and and making more and more money, citizen or people of the world are really just trying to orient around love and and fear. You know, they're trying to protect themselves from dying, and that media has an agenda, and that's just that's just a truth. There's no tinfoil hat here. That's just a reality. And I will proudly rock a tinfoil hat. We can hat. put the dazzle. We can, I'll bedazzle eyes. you one. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it because like you look back the last couple of years and you go, okay, well, a lot of these conspiracy theories, quote unquote, became truths. And so, you know, I think it's, uh, I forget who, who named it this, but it's mission creep. It's like, oh, these things just keep happening and we keep being desensitized and we keep being manipulated or psychologically influenced to villainize any view that is just critical it doesn't have it's not oppositional but critical and that creates the illusion of consensus and that's been true of you look at like how is research done well grants are given to people well those grants are given by people now it's again none of it's emotional if you can just process the truth of those circumstances then at least you can be objective or attempt to be which is hard to be objective about the data that we're consuming and the information that we're bringing in. Like, what is the intention behind this information? Is it to actually help me and heal me? I mean, the food industry doesn't seem to have been doing that till it's profitable. Yeah, the food industry is, if I could point my finger at one organization that's responsible for the demise of human health, it's I'm going to go with the food industry first. And then I'm going to follow that by big pharma. And I don't think people... There's this part too, which I know sounds a little woo-woo, but I'm going to go there. There are demons amongst us. I can see them. I've always been able to see them. And some people are inhabited by them and some people just are them. And that may turn off some listeners, but I was never formally brought up in any kind of structured religion. Although I've, you know, my dad was Jewish, my mom's Catholic, my husband's Christian, my mother-in-law is very Christian, like knows the Bible inside and out. And when I talk about the way that I see things or that I felt things, they all agree with me to some degree. There's something in all these scriptures that describe kind of what I'm getting at here and this darkness, if you will. And I don't think that humans in general understand that it's so prevalent amongst us because they're so disconnected from not only their bodies, most people are so physically disconnected from their bodies, but their spirit and their soul and their calling and their purpose, there's so such a massive lack of purpose happening in the world. And when you have purpose, like you and I have drive with our content we put out, there's a purpose behind all of it. And that gives you something that is so necessary for human beings to have to maintain happiness and like sanity, I think. And so when I had no purpose, when I'm, when I'm drifting, the devil wants us to drift and sugar and these processed foods are the tools that the devil uses to induce that drift, right? Just sit there. And it's no surprise to me that marijuana quickly became legal in all the states of the country. And I'm not vilifying marijuana because I 
think it's a, a wonderful uh, medicinal herb when used properly. But, you know, there's it's just no surprise to me how this all went down. People don't understand. I saw something today. I, I don't know if I sent it to you this morning. It was from the Brownstone Institute, which I love. It said... Uh, what the last few years have shown us is that there's there was really nothing novel about the Nazis. I'm miswording that, but what they were getting at, I said, yeah, that the Germans weren't like special. Yeah, there. and it wasn't just that you know we've kind of grown up through history, U.S. history, learning like, well, the Germans were evil and they were an evil people, so they were easily bamboozled, and look where it led. That was a slow creep. I had my history teacher, my U.S. history teacher in high school was an East German who had immigrated and escaped Berlin. And so he taught us all about it. And he read us the German, the actual history books that were being, you know, used in the schools at the same time that I was reading in the 90s. So we were, I was reading modern at the time, modern history books from Germany, very different story. That was a slow creep. And it was people getting brainwashed and slowly creeping, like you said, that mission creep, like people just kind of slowly taking it and eventually leading to what we saw the extreme outcome with that. And we're there right now with what's happening and people are just slowly, well, uh, you know, well, and then it's like, just when you think you're going to get a breath and the masks come off, it's like, oh, I can't afford gas. I can't afford to go anywhere. I can't afford to fly anywhere. I can't do, I can't leave my country. And it's just on and on. Right. And so people are wearing out and wearing thin. And we see now that so I don't mean to bring up Nazis because that's not a fun term, but we see now that the Germans were not inherently an evil people by any means. They were bamboozled and we all are subject. They were psychologically manipulated, you know, and I think it's Sam Harris, his book, Free Will. He talks about like, whenever we say, like we look at a heroin addict on the street, we say, oh, why don't they just quit drugs and get a job? He said, what we're doing is projecting our own free will upon them. Like if we were them, then we wouldn't. But if we had traded lives cell for cell and moment for moment, we would all be in the exact same circumstances as them. Because I thought, oh yeah, I've been the person who righteously is like, oh yeah, if I traded places with, you know, that person should just quit, get a job, do this, you know, it's, but that completely changed the lens that I had or, or enhanced it maybe. And I, I have the same perspective because in the book, he makes the argument that if we traded spaces, we'd all be Nazi soldiers too, if we traded spaces with that soldier in that. And it's not even saying now is worse than that or the same. It's saying the patterns of psychological behavior were similar. And so we should just be mindful because you can't see the forest when you're in the trees. When you're amongst the propaganda, you have to take absolute sovereignty over yourself and your body and your mind to be able to say, is this information true or influencing me and how is it influencing me? I think the evidence of influence is in the division and the vilification we have for other people. It's happened politically and it's happened ideologically and it's showing us like – we should never lose a family member because they believe in a different political party. We actually need diverse thought in tribes. We need diverse thought in family. We need diverse thought in universities. We need diverse thought in society. Otherwise, we end up just down the path of whoever is presenting this is for your good. And that has almost always in history been the motivation of tyrants. And I just think we should be mindful of that. I mean, Justin Trudeau is not presenting to me as a non-tyrannical, like he scares me psychologically. I look at the language he uses and the way he presents himself. And it's just saying this pattern has existed. So let's pay attention. And I, I appreciate your invitation to that. I went to Germany when in high school when I graduated. That was like my graduation trip. I, a big group of us went and I spent a lot of, I studied German for years. And I, I happened to be one of the only channels I got in college through my like 
pirated cable <laughs> was the History Channel. And that was the time when they had just resurrected a lot of Hitler's video footage and colorized it. And so I watched a lot of that. I learned a lot. And I, I was friends with a lot of Germans and their grandparents were part of what happened, right? And when you ask them what happened, it's a very compelling story. These were young people who were basically said, if you don't become part of the Hitler Jungen, your whole family will suffer. Everybody will lose their jobs. You will not have food rations. I mean, there was just no choice for a lot of people. It's that slow creep. And I only mention that because I was getting firsthand accounts from people who historically were telling me what their experience was and their lived experience versus what I was reading in history books, which were US propagandized, right? So just a different perspective. And I remember being very young at that age and listening to a lot of music that was making me think harder and just kind of going like, wow, this was not the, this was not the bill of goods I was sold as a young person. Like this, there's more to think about here. There's like, there's two sides to every story and we have to look harder and we can't just take things at face value. I trained my daughter to question everything that smelled off, including if it came out of my mouth, if it smells off, pause and go look harder and, you know, come up with your own decision and don't be lazy about it. I, I get so frustrated with people who are lazy about their information gathering. This is your life we're talking about. Gather your information, look harder, seek harder, find people, find resources, because we're out there. There's a community of us who really want to seek out the truth and are sharing the truth, you know, very, very graciously as we can through censorship. Even if People don't agree with maybe my tone or the way I present it, or I'm not their flavor. That's okay. I'm not for everyone. I understand that. But don't dismiss everything that we say just because you don't like the person delivering it. You know, I look at some of these folks who, like, I don't mean to bring up Alex Jones. I didn't even know who Alex Jones was when this pandemic started, and I got accused a bunch. Neither did I. I had no clue. I, yeah, right. None of us did. I got or David He's an intense dude. David Eck or Ecky or Oh yeah, David Ike. Yeah. You know, some of these folks that you could have easily been dismissed as total Looney Tunes, and then you start hearing like maybe their delivery is a certain way, but like maybe there's some some objective truths here. Maybe there's something to we should be paying attention to. And I think a truly emotionally intelligent human is well rounded enough to listen to all sides take the information and distill it down in a way that makes sense to them and then share what they have and have, we have to have conversations. Like you said, we have to have conversations with people we don't agree with. That's how we progress. That's how medicine has always progressed and sciences. That's what I learned in college. I didn't necessarily learn a bunch of info. I learned how to sit in a room full of people I didn't agree with and have conversations without losing our shit on each other. And higher education is- Without moralizing it. Yeah, now it's like dissolved. It's just gone. They just start screaming at you, right? Like you can't have conversations anymore. And we lose that. We lose society, period. Yeah, I agree. That, you know, in bringing up, for example, Alex Jones or David Icke, what I find in my own experience of, of seeing them speak or hearing something from them, is that much like everything, I don't agree with everything they say. I don't, not every perspective they have is like, oh yeah, that's gospel. Just like when I look at anyone on the pro V side, I'm like, oh yeah, that's not everything. There's some truth to some of that data, but we should be able to be critical of other parts of that data. You know, this is, again, coming back to sort of the general theme of this, is this is about taking self-responsibility. And every friction in life is an invitation to that. 
Every reactivity is an invitation to that. Every relationship we have that's dysfunctional, whether it's food or body or people or family or partner or whatever patterns that keep showing up that create dysregulation, we are invited to learn how to regulate, you know, and, and liberate ourselves. And I am so grateful for the voice that you have and, and who you are and, and just your continued commitment to what is integrity for you and what is truth for you. And I'm curious of a few things. One, what are the top, again, three things we could do right now to take control of our metabolic health? Like, is it quit sugar, start weightlifting? And, you know, so those, and then where can people find more of you, especially this metabolic camp program that you're talking about? Awesome. Yes. Well, first I have to say thank you because you keep me so sane. I got an email from somebody the other day and it was a very nice email. And she was saying, I love your podcast so much. And you've been on my podcast. You recently, we had a great conversation and she said, I love your podcast so much. And she wrote the, I, basically in the nicest way, she said, she was suggesting I learn how to not yell so much and learn how to speak more softly. And I thought that's just not who I am, but I appreciated it. And I took her, you know, as I age, I, I learn, but you have such a gentle way of delivering information and hard truths. And I, you have helped me stay on the path of truth and continue to bring my message out there because there's been times when I just wanted to say, fuck it. And you know, go crawl in a hole and just say, good luck, y'all <laughs> have a good time, <laughs> you know? And I, I stay in the game because I'll see one of your posts and it resets me and it kind of drops me back into my heart. Oh, me too. Me too. That's humanity. That's your intention. I know with Create the Love, like you drop me back in my heart and I'm like, okay, I got to come from a place of compassion and and kindness here and not so bum, you know, because I, I I get my megaphone out sometimes. I know I do that. That's, that's who I am. <laughs> So the metabolic revamp, it's just, it's, it'll be out by the time this podcast is published and it's awesome. It's free. It's huge. It's a beast and it's so good. And I hope it helps a million people. I, I really, I've been working on it day and night for months and months and months. And my husband was teasing me. He's like, you're making no money and you're doing something for free and for months. And I'm like, I got to put this out there because it's everything I've been asked. Every question I've been asked, I hope is answered in there, at least the beginning of the answer. And I would say the top three things people can do right now. I know, I know I say start with strength training if people can do that, but I realize that's kind of a big beast and it can be intimidating for folks. Not everyone has access to weights. Not everyone knows what they're doing. I would say if you are going to start with strength training, hire a coach. If you have the means, find somebody to at least help you, whether it's an online program or, and I'm going to be coming out with a resource for that soon too, but something to get started so you're safe because I don't want to see anyone get hurt. My whole career was built on putting people's joints back together and that's a great way to get hurt when you don't, it's a skill. <laughs> it's a skill that needs to be learned before you start throwing weight around. But I would say in the meantime, get yourself off refined sugars. Just do it. It's a cold turkey thing. I'm going to be coming out with a resource for that too called Lick the Sugar Habit. It's you got to get off. You got to get off the refined stuff. We can sit here and argue about the honeys and the sweeteners and all that, but just get off the white powdery substances, first of all. Second of all, go for a walk every day and preferably after a meal. I think it really, really helps. It's an old adage that I learned it from a naturopathic mentor, go for a walk after a meal. And we now have the data to support that as being accurate and helpful. And then the third thing is put yourself to bed. When you skimp on sleep, you automatically go into an insulin resistant pre-diabetic state just by default of having your sleep being screwed up. So 
getting adequate hours of sleep. That's anywhere between six to eight, I think, for most humans. And the key, go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time. And a way to help set your clock is in the morning, especially now that it's summer, go outside first thing in the morning and get some sunlight exposure. Look to the horizon, not straight at it, but look to the horizon. Maybe walk, go on a walk towards it. That'll set your circadian rhythm for the day. And then in the late afternoon, go out and look at the horizon again as the sun's getting lower in the sky. And there's data to support this. Andrew Huberman talks about this a lot on his podcast and on his Instagram. That resets your circadian clock. Those three things alone will get people. I have gotten hundreds of messages from people saying that they have cumulatively lost thousands of pounds just doing those things. So, Wow. Well, there we go. We hear that. Everyone's excited about that. And not to mention the psychological shift that will occur just by setting and completing those intentions to know that you're present to the earth, present to the sun, present to your moments and moving your body. You know, such an act of love. Uh, Dr. Tina, where can people find you and these things? Yes. So my website is where everything will live. It's drtina.com and you can find the metabolic revamp there. Just share your email with me and it will be sent right out to you. And then on Instagram, of course, I would love if people would come follow me. It's drtina, D-R-T-Y-N-A. And then I have a podcast. They can come listen to the episode we recorded, which people loved so much. We, I got such great feedback on that. And that's over uh, on my website at drtina.com as well. Perfect. Amazing. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you and, and keep going. Uh, I just love you, Mark. Thank you for having me on. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.